you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Move the Sticks podcast presented by Castrol Edge. DJ Bucky here, not in the same location, but Bucky, I think we're united right now in just our excitement that we have training camps open. You can flip on the TV, find NFL Network, and we're seeing live practice footage. Uh, it gets your juices flowing a little bit. Yeah, really exciting. Everyone is uh, beginning to report to camp. We're beginning to end the speculation. We're starting to make some hard assessments on some of the things that we've talked about the last couple months. It's just different when, when you read things and you're, you're kind of hearing reports and secondhand versus actually you know putting on the TV and seeing guys in uniform, taking snaps, throwing balls, catching balls. Uh, moving around, it, it's uh, it's always fun. Get to see also uh, guilty pleasure. You get to find out what numbers uh, some of these guys are wearing. If you haven't paid attention to what's been going on there, you flip on the TV and see. Oh, he's wearing. I think I think Allen Robinson is wearing number twelve, uh, which caught me for <laughs> caught me off guard a little bit there. But uh, fun. it's like it's like all new presents. You get to open them all up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to see some of the guys. And even though. A lot of times, like when we look at, uh, you talk about DirecTV 212, NFL Network, we're seeing some of the B-roll, and to just get excited over the B-roll is kind of crazy. You know, we're seeing guys go through individual bag drills, but yet it feels like football is upon us. So I'm excited. I'm excited this season is close. All right. We've got a lot of ground to cover today on the episode. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Julio Jones and his situation with the Atlanta Falcons. I know you've had some thoughts there, but we'll get into that. We'll have our, our rookie report presented by Castro Ledge. Uh, what's going on with these rookies? A couple interesting storylines there. And then one of my favorite uh, parts of today's episode, we're going to go division by division and, and pick out our favorite training camp battle we're looking forward to following inside those divisions. And then and we'll finish it up with uh, what I think will be the five most impactful rookie classes by team. So five teams are going to end up playing a lot of rookies this year, and I think they'll have an immediate impact. So we got a lot of ground to cover here, Buck. Uh, but let's start here with Julio Jones and the Atlanta Falcons and that whole situation. I know you've, uh, you haven't you have been shy about your thoughts there. 
Oh, no, I just think it's a very interesting situation with the um, Atlanta Falcons and what they eventually have to do with Julio Jones. In my estimation, Julio Jones is their best player. He's their, mo- he's their most important offensive player. And even though Matt Ryan is coming off a league MVP uh, a season ago, I think most of us would say that Julio Jones is the guy that elevates Matt Ryan and makes Matt Ryan the special player that some consider him to be. I think we need Atlanta Falcons. Uh, there are a lot of things to consider. I understand not wanting to make the precedent of having to redo someone's deal with three years remaining. But you're sitting here with your best player sitting out of camp. And if I'm the Atlanta Falcons, and I believe we have an opportunity to make a real push to win the division and be one of the top teams, I don't know if I mind restructuring the contract of my best player because I believe my best player has earned the right to kind of be paid like that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm kind of conflicted on this because you mentioned it. There's a lot of time left on the deal, so you don't want to set that precedent. Uh, on the other side of it, I get Julio Jones saying, hey, if you don't want to give me a new deal, that's that's okay, but I'm not coming to training camp. And as a veteran player who's established himself, a lot of times I'm cool with, hey, you know, if you don't want to come to training camp, I think we can overrate that a little bit. Getting on the same page with Matt Ryan, I don't think it's going to be that difficult. They have so much history together. I think they'll pick up right where they left off. The one concern I would have – it's just when you've got some durability concerns with Julio. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he's got a nice, uh, a, a nice, a workout schedule there to keep him up to par. Because we see it all the time when guys come in after missing some training camp, you get some soft tissue uh, injuries. So uh, I, I just hope that you know he's he's doing what he needs to do off the field so that when he comes in, he can get up to full speed. He knows he's got to come out and put up a huge year. They're not going to pay him right now. He needs to produce like he has in the past. And then that big payday will probably come a year from now. So uh, missing training camp from you know being on the same page and chemistry and all, ah, I, I'm okay with that. I don't think that's that big a deal. To me, it's just making sure when he gets in there, uh, you have a game plan in place to kind of get him up to speed and get him caught up uh, without suffering one of those soft tissue injuries. Yeah, I mean, I think that is important. I think the big thing for Julio and for the Falcons, look, I, I read he made – $47 million guaranteed the first three years of the deal. That comes out to right at around $16 million, which is kind of like uh, maybe close to market value based on some of the recent deals or whatever. I think his biggest contention is this year in base salary he's making 10.5, next year is like 12.5, and maybe it goes up to 14 the third year. Uh, that money is not guaranteed until the season. I think they actually can probably incentivize the deal. Uh, they can sweeten the pot a little bit with some easy-to-earn incentives. Uh, last year, I want to say he only had three touchdowns, so maybe you put some escalators in there if he hits five, seven, ten touchdowns, uh, or if you tie some of those things to offensive performance. Last year, they didn't have one of the top offenses, but say you put that, um, put some money tied to hey, if they improve to such and such points per game uh, when it comes to scoring offense or total offense or some of those things, I think is a way to satisfy what he wants, which is probably a few more coins in his pocket until you can get to next year where you can really redo the deal. And I don't think you've changed precedent by doing that kind of stuff. No, it's, it's a good thought there. I also think one other point need to, we need to bring up is, hey, more reps for, for Calvin Ridley here. Let's get him up to speed. Get him on the same page with your quarterback and Matt Ryan. And uh, if you can get Calvin Ridley clicking, and you've already got Muhammad Sanu, who's a steady Eddie number two, um, you've got Justin Hardy, who's a good route runner, and now you get Julio Jones in there. You've got a young emerging tight end in Austin Hooper. We know about the two backs. 
Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman. This offense is as good as any in the league. So uh, I think they they can be a little bit, you know, let's let's be patient with Julio. If you don't want to be here, he doesn't want to be there. But eventually, hey, let's let's get in in time for this first week of the season to get humming. I, I think this very easily could be the top offense in the NFL. Oh, I absolutely believe it could be the top offensive uh, team in, in the NFL. We saw it happen just two seasons ago. I think it's a matter of Steve Sarkeesian getting comfortable, understanding what he has at his disposal, and then finding a way to consistently put the hands, uh, put the ball in the hands of the playmakers. When he does that, if he's able to let Julio Jones and uh, some of those other guys like Mohamed Sanu and Calvin Ridley, if they can cook on the perimeter, I think the Atlanta Falcons are a scary offense because you have two running backs that can really – attack you in a variety of different ways out the backfield. One other rookie I'm looking forward to watching there, Russell Gage, uh, probably going to make the team as a special teamer. He was their six-round pick out of LSU, the best, really the best cover special teams player in last year's draft, but also has some big playability at the receiver position. We've seen these LSU receivers year after year become better pros than they were in college. Uh, that's kind of a down-the-line name to keep an eye on here in training camp. And the fact that he's a rookie leads me into our rookie reports presented by Castro Edge, Buck. Uh, looking at a couple of rookie storylines right now, and none bigger than what's going on in Baltimore's training camp. I, I tweeted out a picture the other day. Uh, I just thought it was funny because you had on the BaltimoreRavens.com website, you had in the right column, there's about 10 different article posts. So you've got this, the one-liners where you can click and link uh, to those articles. And I believe it said, Joe Flacco, you know, fantastic in first full practice. So that's that's one of 10 little blurbs on the right side. And then the whole page is filled up with a picture of Lamar Jackson uh, with a, with huge block letters underneath it, Lamar Jackson way ahead of the curve. So that old phrase, a picture's worth a thousand words, never more true than right there. Yeah, Joe Flacco looks excellent. You, you, can you see, oh yeah, I see a little, little print over there on the right side. Oh, hey, there's a life-size picture of Lamar Jackson. Uh, so that's what's going on there in Baltimore Ravens camp. Yeah, I mean, I think with the Ravens, there's a lot of excitement. I think for the first time, the defense can look over the offense and see a player in Lamar Jackson that adds some juice to the offense. For the last three or four years, and really since they've lost Ray Rice, they really haven't had a sizzle player on offense. Joe Flacco is a guy who I think is better suited to be a game manager more so than the primary playmaker, and they haven't had enough guys on offense that can make plays um, kind of off the script. I know Steve Smith, our own NFL network colleague, was a guy that was fantastic for them. But he was an older player. He wasn't necessarily a dynamic playmaker at the end of his career. I believe that Lamar Jackson is probably the best playmaker that they've had there in some time. Naturally, there is some intrigue in terms of what will he eventually do for this team? How would they get him on the field? I know they're talking about some two-quarterback things. But at the end of the day, I think Joe Flacco is on the clock. How long can this offense go with Joe Flacco running it? Can they score enough points for him to hold on to his job? If not, I think maybe by the middle of the season, we could see Lamar Jackson start with some packages and eventually become the Baltimore Ravens quarterback one. I don't know if you've encountered this, but there is actually there's a, a loyal uh, Joe Flacco faction out oh, there in, in Twitter. They are a loyal bunch now. And I, I know you've seen this, so I'm going to give you some ammunition. I haven't used it, but it's it's kind of like you have it in case of emergency break glass. This is kind of my my Joe Flacco argument here. Uh, because, look, he, he played well. He got all that money. And then it hasn't been successful. You've seen all the numbers been thrown out there. There are 500 team basically since the Super Bowl. I've been to the playoffs, I believe, in what, four of the last five years. Joe Flacco's production is literally among the worst in the league. So 
if you point those things out, what's brought up is, well, they haven't drafted well, they've missed picks, uh, they haven't put the right weapons around him. You know, those are the arguments that come your way, which to me is just a perfect, it's evidence, it's perfect evidence for what we talk about on this show all the time, trucks or trailers. Does your quarterback bring up the level of play of everybody around him, or is he dependent on the level of play of everybody around him? And I think with Joe Flacco, how do you argue it any other way, Buck? When you put all the pieces are perfect around him, he can execute at a high level. They won a championship, no question. But when you mm-hmm. miss on some players and you need him to make other people better, to make guys like you know Chris Moore uh, elevate their play, the guys they've had in the past that haven't worked out there. You know, Bashad Perriman's his own deal. I think that was a that was definitely a miss. But some of these other pieces, he hasn't done anything to make those guys better than what they are, which to me tells us he is a very, very highly paid trailer in this league. He is not a truck. And I think that is the biggest issue. I think that's the thing that look, we spend the offseason talking about. When you overpay the quarterback based on the position and not necessarily what the player is, it can put you in a position where you really can't support him as he is uh, kind of – built to play the game. And so with Baltimore, I think the big thing in Baltimore, when Baltimore made the decision to pay Joe Flacco, they made it with Joe Flacco will help elevate the offense, will commit the resources to the defense. The defense and Joe Flacco will be enough to get us to where we need to go. And I simply just don't think that, you know, the Baltimore Ravens made a wise decision when they did it. But look, he ultimately had the hammer. He won the Super Bowl. He played really well in the postseason. So it's hard to move on from a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, particularly when you're the Baltimore Ravens. You moved on from Trent Dilfer, and it didn't go well. I felt like there were a lot of mitigating factors that led to Joe Flacco getting paid. Nonetheless, you expect more from a quarterback of his nature, of his pay grade. The Baltimore Ravens are now trying to right that wrong by having Lamar Jackson in the fold and eventually hoping that Lamar Jackson can take it over. And we talk about all the time that formula. It's not a secret. The best formula for success in the NFL right now is if you can get a competent, doesn't have to be a superstar, but if you can get a competent quarterback on a rookie deal and you can get that cost control for four or five seasons, uh, and then you can afford to spend your money elsewhere and build up the rest of that roster, you have got a real chance. You've got a huge edge over everybody else who's having to, to designate all that money to the quarterback position. So it doesn't take a genius to figure out uh, you got out from under Joe Flacco's contract next season. You've got Lamar Jackson, hopefully has played enough this year. You have enough confidence in him that he can start from week one in 2019. And now you've got a pretty talented roster around him with what they've done the last couple of years. They've been a little bit more aggressive in free agency. They've got some weapons now offensively. Uh, they've developed both in the trenches on, on each side of the line of scrimmage. They've got depth at corner. Now you've got some money to go out and even spend more Uh, once you take that Joe Flacco contract off the book. So to me, this year for the Ravens, obviously it's important uh, for Harbaugh if they can get back to the postseason and and, uh, put to to bed any rumors about him uh, potentially losing his job. But this is about 2019 for me. When you look at this Ravens team, can you get Lamar Jackson up to speed to be your guy day one, 2019? And then you've got the formula right in front of you, the same formula we've seen the Rams, the Eagles, uh, we saw first, obviously, with the Seahawks, what they did with Russell Wilson on his rookie deal. It's all there for the Baltimore Ravens to follow that same path. Yeah, it is all right there. Like, if the Baltimore Ravens just kind of follow that path, try and figure out what exactly he needs, what you need to put around him in 2019, I believe that's the recipe. We've seen it. You talked about the Rams. We saw it with the Eagles. We're seeing it right now with the Chicago Bears. 
figure out that first season, what can your quarterback do, what does he need to support him, and then spend the next offseason making sure he has all those weapons. And more times than not, you'll see tremendous growth from that quarterback from year one to year two. The Baltimore Ravens are in a uh, kind of a tricky predicament trying to figure that out with Lamar Jackson. But I do believe if things aren't going well for the Ravens by the midway point, you will see number eight trot onto the field, and number eight will trot onto the field heavily um, as the quarterback extensively as the number one, and they'll try and figure out what they need to go forward. No question. Year number two has been the uh, has been the aiming point for those teams that we mentioned. You threw the Bears in there as well. Need to mention them. Uh, good call by you. But I think that's the that's the roadmap there. And I do think we see Lamar Jackson this season uh, sooner than later. I'll get to that a little bit later on in my five teams that will be impacted by this rookie class. Uh, Buck, while we're talking here in our, our rookie report presented by Castro Ledge, let's get to a rookie not named Lamar Jackson. You're excited to to see finally hit the field here in training camp. Well, I mean, I think it's kind of easy. I want to go to Saquon Barkley. And the reason Saquon Barkley is the guy I'm most excited about is I really believe that the Giants offense, the Giants team is not as bad as it was, we were led to believe based on last year. I think they made some very, very solid improvements to the offensive line. I think getting Odell Beckham Jr. back will certainly add about 10 points to the offense. But Saquon Barkley is the guy that can take it from good to great this season. And part of the reason he can do that is not his um, – what he adds as a runner, but his ability to catch the ball out the backfield will make things easier for Eli Manning. So rather than just waiting on number 13 to open up or kind of hoping on Evan Ingram and Sterling Shepard to win their one-on-ones on the, um, over the middle of the field or when they have one-on-ones on the perimeter, he can target his running it back against linebackers and safeties in space. And I think for Eli Manning, at this stage of his career, he needs all the help that he can get. I believe the Giants have enough playmakers, um, guys that can make things happen on catch-and-run plays, that they can do a lot of damage in the NFC East. I'm excited to see Saquon Barkley and what he can add to this lineup. I think a lot of people have piggybacked you on this one, just in terms of the expectations for this Giants team coming off the year they had last year. I, I can't remember a team that coming off such a poor season where the expectations were as high as they are uh, for the Giants. And I think a lot of that has to do – you know, with Saquon Barkley joining Odell Beckham, keeping Odell Beckham healthy, and everybody expects we're going to see a, a different, uh, old-school version of Eli Manning. And, and I'm with you. I think what Saquon's going to do in the passing game is going to be the big difference with this team. I, I think some people, and I look, I gave him a huge grade. I love, I love him as a player. But I hear, I hear a lot of talk about his, his power, his physicality, and I'm like, eh, that's, not, that's not really who he is. I mean, he is a home-run hitter. Uh, he's going to be someone that's going to definitely have an impact in the passing game. But I think some people are saying he's going to bring this violent physical edge to the to the running game here for the Giants. I don't know if that's necessarily who Saquon Barkley is, Buck. No, I don't think he's that. I think what you have to do is you have to categorize him as a playmaker. And I think um, if it came down to pure running ability, I don't know if he would rank as the number one running back in last year's class. But when it came to everything that he brought to the table, I believe that is what made him. Uh, a top player, a player that some would say is the best player in the draft. I think he's kind of like the new school running back. And when you think of the top running backs in the National Football League now, you think about Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Todd Gurley. And so these new school running backs are 215 pounds plus, big running backs that can do the everyday chores that you want your runner to do, but they also add something in the passing game, and they are special in the passing game. I believe Barkley fits more of that mode than the old-school hammerhead 
uh, tight that's going to plunge it up in there 25 to 30 times on isos and all tackles. Yeah, that, that's that to me. That's what he is too. You're going to see, you're going to see chunk plays from him in the run game and the pass game. When I'm, I'm talking 40, 50 yard plays. Uh, running the ball or catching the ball to the backfield. I don't think he's going to be somebody that's just going to be kind of a Leonard Fournette, a lean on you, you know, bang on you all game long, and hopefully that pays off later. I think you're going to see, this is what we saw at Penn State, you're going to see some negative runs, you're going to see some one- and two-yard runs, but then he's going to pop loose, and you're going to see some of those big home runs. That's what you get there uh, with Saquon Barkley. Can't wait to watch him. I, I'm going to go in the same uh, same stadium, just a different team. I, Sam Darnold taking the field, Buck, because I don't know if there was a player – uh, that, that kind of grew more through the offseason, you know, from what you heard early on with the practices there with the Jets to where he ended up at the end of the offseason. It looked like he made just tremendous improvements. So now can he take it up another level when you get to training camp? And, and can he show enough during these training camp practices and during the preseason to win this job outright? You know, when they when they first got in there for that first mini camp, that seemed like a, you know, look, this is not going to happen for him. It's a redshirt year. Take your time, but we're confident in him. And then the way it ended up was, hey, he's he's got a legitimate shot to, to trot out there week one with the starters. So I can't wait to see Sam Darnold and, and if he can take over the reins of this offense. Yeah, no, I am asking. There is a lot of excitement about Sam Darnold in the building. When you talk to players, had a chance to talk to Jamal Adams this offseason, you talked about, look, man, the kid has exactly what you look for. A great worker, didn't say much, just kind of put his nose to the grindstone. You see the talent. He can make all the throws. More importantly, he's a God's guy. He's a natural leader. Um, his teammates gravitate towards him. And I think at the quarterback position, sometimes even more than the physical, that stuff matters. At the end of the day, that quarterback has to get the rest of the guys on the squad to play for him, to play with him, and to do the things that um, they need to do to make enough plays for them to score points. I think Sam Donald has that kind of ability. And when it comes down to it, we both believe that he had a little magic to his game. It's not always going to look pretty, but he finds a way to make it happen, particularly in those clutch moments. I think Sam Donald's ability to do those things might give him an opportunity to be the starting quarterback when the Jets take the field week one. Yeah, it's uh... – it's going to be fun to watch. Teddy Bridgewater, another name to keep in mind there. Uh, looks like he had a pretty good offseason as well. So more than a, more than two guys competing for that job there with the Jets. I got to say, though, I do like Sam Darnold's chances to trot out there week one as the starter. All right, that was our rookie report presented by Castro Edge Buck. Let's get into uh, let's get into some training camp battles here, division by division. Uh, let's go through. If we have the same one, it's no big deal. If we've got different ones, we can discuss them quickly. Uh, but just one training camp battle in each division that we're looking forward to following here. Why don't we? Uh, why don't you kick us off here with your NFC North uh, position battle? Now, this is going to be a little odd, but I'm going to go to the Green Bay Packers, and I'm going to look at their wide receiver core. And we know who their starters are going to be like. It's been like this for a little while. They're going to have Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb as their number one and number two. But the third guy is really the most important guy in this mix because they do so many different things from 11 personnel sets. And when you look at their depth chart, D'Angelo Yancey, Geronimo Allison, Jamon Moore, Trevor Davis, Marcus Valdez-Scanley, and then Equinemius St. Brown, all of those guys are in contention to maybe move up to the number three spot. And the guy that I really have my eyes on is St. Brown. Because when I look at St. Brown, St. Brown has all the stuff that you look for as a big-body playmaker traditionally that has, has success in that offense. And for whatever reason, he slipped. But I think if we see – him play really, really well in camp, I think he can leapfrog everybody and end up being a very, very key contributor to this offense. I'm excited to see what he does at 6'4", 215 pounds with big-time attributes. 
Yeah, and we've seen Geronimo Allison, you know, make some splash plays there for this team. He'll be in that mix, as you mentioned. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, he, he might be, he's one of those guys, every year when you're a scout, you go to these games and you've got to keep an eye on the back-end roster guys, which are rounds five through seven current picks, as well as guys that are on the roster bubble. He's going to be somebody that's going to jump out because you're going to see him in the fourth quarter going up against some crappy corners, Buck, and he is going to run he's right by him. He's going to wear him out. <laughs> Yeah, he'll be definitely somebody that's circled uh, during the preseason. I guarantee it. He can fly. Uh, and Jamon Moore is a, is a big physical receiver there, uh, their fourth-round pick out of Missouri. So that's a great battle to keep an eye on. I'm going to go to another team inside that division, though. Uh, I'm going to go to the Minnesota Vikings. And this is a position battle that's really a luxury to have. When you look at the corner depth that they have, they're in great shape, as good as any team in, in the league. But they're going to have a good battle here for the nickel position. Mackenzie Alexander, been a little bit of a rocky road for him. Uh, early in his career coming out of uh, out of Clemson. He's going to be competing with Mike Hughes for that nickel spot. Mike Hughes can play inside, can play outside. He was their first-round pick this year. We know they've got Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes established, but that third corner spot coming down to those two guys and then uh, the, the man who never ages and Terrence Newman still kicking around there in case neither one of those guys take control of that position. You've got a fallback there in Terrence Newman. Yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting uh... – Scenario. Mike Hughes was a first-round talent. Mike Hughes, to me, I thought was a, a guy that could have been a top 15 pick based on how he played the game at UCF. And Mackenzie Alexander, I think Mackenzie Alexander has tried to fill the role as a nickel, has been a little up and down. And I think what we saw in the uh, divisional round of the playoffs, the New Orleans Saints oh, kind of had him a little bit um, when it came down to money time. And so, and Mike Hughes, I think he's getting a more polished player, a more versatile player, someone that is smooth and refined. I absolutely expect him to be the nickel corner. And I do believe in time he's going to replace Trey Waynes on the corner because I think he has that kind of talent. And I think he certainly could be an upgrade at a position. Yeah, we were both big fans of his game. We love visiting with him, too, during the draft process. Get a good swagger about him. Uh, I dug it, no question. All right, NFC South, give me a position battle, Buck. I'm going to go to the Carolina Panthers. And if it's all on Cam Newton to find a way to get it done, I think the battle between DJ Moore and Torrey Smith will be critical. As they remake this offense with more of Turner, you're going to see more vertical throws, more uh, bang eight, uh, seam routes, things where, you know, you can have a physical pass catcher make plays. And also some of these things where you can see guys catch the ball on the move and make it happen. I believe this is perfect for DJ Moore. I think DJ Moore will surpass an aging Torrey Smith, will make some plays. He'll eventually be the starter. But I'm curious to see how this plays out as they are kind of finding their way in North Turner's offense. I'm excited to see that, but also keep a name on a guy that I know that North Turner has liked for a long time. Jarius Wright coming over from Minnesota, kind of signed him under the radar after he was let go by the Vikings. But North Turner has always loved this guy as his number three receiver. Keep an eye on Jarius Wright making a move in training camp up the charts. I'm excited to see what uh, what North Turner's offense in 2018 looks like. Is he is he going to adjust to kind of the times here and be creative? He's got a lot of versatile pieces there in that offense. I'm anxious to see what it looks like. I'm going to go to Tampa though in the running back position. You know, Ronald Jones as talented as as anybody coming into this draft process. When I first evaluated him on tape, Buck, before we got to any of the offseason stuff, he was a top 15 type player. Uh, now did not do well in the in the postseason in the run up to the draft. Not not good health wise, uh, workout wise, interview wise wasn't great. So he ended up sliding down into the second round. But extremely extremely talented. So can he win this job outright? 
You've got Jaquiz Rogers. You've got Charles Sims. You've got Peyton Barber. He's, to me, easily the most talented of that bunch. He should win this job, but he's got to go out there and do it. Yeah, he has to go out there and do it. He has to take the job. Um, I think for him, they're counting on him because when I look at Charles Sims, and I think they, they like what some of the stuff that Charles Sims can do in the passing game, I just believe that Rojo has an opportunity to be a little more complete than all of those guys. And if you think about Rojo being able to come in, and I know they don't have Jameis Winston the first uh, three games of the season, but they need someone that can be a safety valve out the backfield that can make plays in the pass game when they take away Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson. Rojo can be that player. I think Rojo gives their offense a little juice, and they need it going into a very, very critical year for everyone involved, head coach, general manager, quarterback. Everyone has to play well. I think this is a critical situation for them. Yeah, Ronald Jones has uh, he has star potential, no doubt. So hopefully he's uh, he's ready to go at the start of camp and, and can get this offense cranking because he's going to have a lot of responsibility uh, year number one. Let's get to the NFC East. Um, you know, the NFC East is really interesting. Um, I think the Washington Redskins have an interesting scenario that has to play out in the secondary. Orlando Skandrick, Fabian Moreau, Quentin Dunbar, these guys have to battle it out and figure out who's going to be the second, third, and fourth corners. Orlando Skandrick comes over from the Dallas Cowboys, had a knee injury a couple years ago, hasn't necessarily been the same, but he's kind of like that old veteran that you like to have. You can depend on him. Fabian Moreau is tremendously talented, had an early injury, uh, kind of kept him from kind of making an impact early in the year, but you saw some of the stuff that he liked. And then you have Quentin Dunbar, a converted wide receiver who everyone in the building will tell you is very, very talented. How does this shake out? Because in a division where the quarterback play is going to be better and the wide receiver play has also improved, you have to have three corners that are starting level cornerbacks. How does this shake out for the Washington Redskins? Yeah, that's going to be big for them. Also, I think the running back position for them will be fun to watch if Darius Geis which I think we both expect can take over that job as a rookie. Uh, another one there for the Redskins. I'm going to go Dallas Cowboys. And to me, you look at their receiver position, it's, it's a lot like the NBA lottery. Like they just have, they have about 15 ping pong balls, and I'm anxious to see which ones end up emerging and popping up and end up uh, being their big three. I think we, you, know, you look at the way it's shaken out, I think Cole Beasley probably has a defined role uh, for what he can do in the slot. But outside of that, it is a wide-open competition. You've got Deontay Thompson – uh, coming in there, you draft Michael Gallup. Uh, you've got Alan Hearns, who you brought over. You still got Terrence Williams there. Noah Brown, they're a very talented guy coming out of Ohio State in last year's draft, a late-round pick who's shown some promise. Uh, Tavon Austin, how's he going to be used? I mean, there is a lot of questions with this group and how that all is going to shake out. So just the position for me in this division, I'll be keeping an eye on this wide receiver position for the Dallas Cowboys. I know you've talked about it in the past. Uh, you know, hey, this 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 won't be a terrible thing with them losing Des Bryant, and uh, we'll see if Dak Prescott, if he can be a, a truck, if he can make these guys better and make some of these names that maybe we aren't as familiar with on a national level. I'm talking about just the general fan base. Uh, make those guys uh, a name, and, and if you're a big time quarterback, you'll find a way to do that. Yeah, I think so. I think this would be really the ultimate test for Dak Prescott. And I think it comes at a critical time because they can redo his deal at the end of this season. If he goes out and shows that they can uh, move the ball and just kind of spread the ball around. And what's funny, I did some research on Dak Prescott, and I found that when he throws the ball to eight or more different receivers, he's 14-2 and two as a starter. He has a 21-4 to four touchdown to interception ratio. Wow. And the Dallas Cowboys offense operates at a much uh, 
higher and efficient level. I think this is a situation where I, I've talked about it on the podcast before. He can do some of that old Tom Brady-like stuff in terms of I'm just going to throw to the open receiver. The guy that really dictates the coverage is Ezekiel Elliott behind me. As long as we get one-on-one on the outside, I'm going to throw the ball to the first guy that gets open. So now it's on you guys to figure out who wants the ball by winning your routes very, very early in the practice. Yeah, that's the benefit, too, of having that run game you mentioned with Ezekiel Elliott. You're going to simplify everything that you see back there because that is uh, job number one for every team you play is to slow down that running game. So we'll see. You know, maybe one of these guys emerges above the others, or maybe it is just kind of like a, a stew, a little receiver stew there where the ball just gets spread all over the place. You don't see any big numbers for any individual player, um, but the number one receiver on their team is the guy that's open. Not a bad way to go there. Uh, let's get to uh, NFC West here, the position battle you're keeping an eye on. You know, this is, this is tough because there's so many different ways to go. Um, but I'm going to go with Seattle because I think their running game has to be figured out. Rashad Penny versus Chris Carson. Whoever's the number one back has a lot of weight on his shoulder. This offense hasn't been right since Marshawn Lynch was a big part of the offense. And part of the reason is because Marshawn was a big physical runner who also had the ability to impact the passing game. And Rashad Penny, coming out of San Diego State, I thought he had – not traits like Marshawn, but I thought he had the ability to be a big back that could also make contributions out of the backfield as a receiver. And so if we want to call him Saquon Barkley light, I think Rashawn Penny can do that. In this version of the Seahawks offense, it is critical that they have another weapon outside of Doug Baldwin. Can Penny unseat Chris Carson as that guy? Carson is flash. Carson is a big athletic specimen. Did a good job in small moments last season, but right now one of those guys has to show that he can be the bell cow, not only as a runner, but as an impact player, as a receiver out the back door. You know, I don't know if you're uh, if you're familiar with his work, Buck, but I, I've just kind of been and turned on here uh, and plugged in with, with Warren Sharp on, on Twitter who yeah. does, a lot of, does a lot of analytics work, um, and he has a book that's out. I called it a magazine, and that was not correct. It's actually a book. He's done a ton of research um, and he puts this this book out to, right before the season, so it's available now. You can find it. Just go find him on Twitter. Um, again, he's not asking me to do anything for him here, but just I, I got a lot out of reading what he did. And one of the things he's, he's talked about was <clears throat> what a huge, huge mistake it was for the Seattle Seahawks to not identify the talent on their own roster and to cut Alex Collins, who we've seen go to the Baltimore Ravens, emerge as their feature back, and it really looked great last year. So not only do you lose a talented player, now you have to spend draft capital, your highest pick, and you go take a Rashad Penny. You don't have to make that selection if you would have just uh, correctly identified what you already had on your roster, a guy you'd already you already had in Alex Collins. So uh, again, that's that's a fascinating read. I was on vacation, read through a bunch of stuff there um, on the analytics side, but that that stood out to me as man, if you. You know, we talk about being able to evaluate players for the draft. We talk about being able to evaluate free agents that are on the market. You better evaluate the players on your own roster uh, because that ended up costing them in a big way. It did cost them in a huge way, like not being able to find a player on your own roster that can make contributions. And sometimes, look, scheme fit matters, and maybe it was a different scheme in Baltimore that allowed him to flourish. But you had this guy for a little over a season and a half to really be able to look at him and for him – to not be a guy that you could say could make a contribution says a lot. It's just a miss. It's a miss by the Seattle Seahawks. They had to come back and try and make it right in the draft, and we'll see if they can get it right. This is a team in transition. The rest of the division is trending up. They appear to be trending down. 
we'll see how it shakes out at the end of the year. Let me ask you one question before I get to my position battle here. Seattle Seahawks, and this is going to break Sully's heart here uh, that I'm posing the question this way. But if I said Seattle Seahawks more likely 12 and 4 or 4 and 12, you only get one option there. Which one would you pick? 4 and 12. Oh, Sully, yeah. off the top rope on your own team. Yeah. <laughs> Four and twelve. Yeah, I think that I think they're more likely to be four and twelve and twelve four. I don't think they have enough ammunition uh, on both sides of the ball to be able to be a team that wins double digit. Maybe, maybe Russell Wilson is just that good that they can overcome. But I think they've lost a lot of who they were in terms of their identity and how they went about their business. I just can't see them winning twelve games. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I, you lose too many pieces. Uh, Russell Wilson's a top five quarterback, but is, is he that good to, to overcome those losses? I, I don't. I don't think so. I think this is a sneaky bad team. Yeah, sneaky bad. I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I am not optimistic there. Maybe they'll prove me wrong, but I, I just don't see. And with the way that division is trending, with all the 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 young quarterbacks they have there, and some of the other roster pieces that you know, the Rams are absolutely loaded. The 49ers, um, they're starting to load up a little bit. The Arizona Cardinals get David Johnson back. I just think everybody's kind of trending in one direction. Seattle seems to be trending in the other. Uh, but, hey, maybe they'll surprise us and, and have a great year. But I just I don't see it when I look at that team, Buck. Uh, the position battle for me I'm looking at is Arizona Cardinals. I, I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit here. Give me the quarterback battle. Give me uh, give me Josh Rosen, the rookie, trying to unseat Sam Bradford. Or is Sam Bradford going to voluntarily give up the position by injury, which seems to be probably the most likely scenario? Uh, that's probably a very, very likely scenario when you think about Sam Bradford's history. He's had a tough time staying healthy. He has been. Uh, a pretty good quarterback when he's been healthy. The problem is those healthy moments have been far, <laughs> few and far in between. And so need to figure out if he can stay healthy. But really, at the end of the day, I think Josh Rosen is going to be a better player. And I would be more inclined to start the process of developing the young quarterback. Amen. Start him day one. Get him going. You have a running back behind him and David Johnson who can make a lot of things happen. You still have Larry Fitzgerald on the outside. You have Christian Kirk, who I think is going to be a star in this league. There's a lot of stuff around him. I don't know what the offensive line is going to be like, but I'll be more inclined to play the young guy early and let's just see, as we talk about in year two, what do we need to get around him in year two to help him flourish? And, you know, we see with running backs, you have a you have a limited shelf life there when you have a running back in terms of how long they can be a premier player. David Johnson coming off injury now. Uh, but that window is where it is. You know you've got it. You've got to get this team up and running within the next two years so that you can hit your stride while David Johnson is still in his prime as arguably the best, if not the best, one of the two or three best running backs in the league. So why not accelerate the process? Get Josh Rosen in as early as you can this year. Get him up and running, and we come back again to that rookie formula. Get that rookie quarterback year two. You've got David Johnson in his prime. Go out and be aggressive and surround him with some more pieces on offense, and you're off and running. So uh, to me, it just makes more sense. I know they paid Sam Bradford a ton of money, uh, but the sooner you can get uh, Josh Rosen on the field, I think will be better uh, for this team. Uh, let's get to the uh, to the AFC North here, Buck, and we can pick up the pace a little bit here. Uh, which battle are you looking for? Uh, when I go to the AFC North, the thing that steps up to me is the conversation that you had earlier, and I'll just briefly touch on it. I do believe this is a serious competition between Joe Flacco and Lamar Jackson. Um, I'm just curious to see how it plays out when it's all said and done. I want to see how he looks during the preseason. What do they do schematically to help him uh, find his rhythm? And if this offense flows a little differently with a little more excitement, I just think it's a matter of time before he gets denied. Yeah, well, that's a good one. Uh, I'm going to go Cleveland left tackle. 
uh, Sean Coleman, Austin Corbett, and maybe even Joel Batonio uh, getting in the mix, who has the versatility to play guard, play tackle. So how that all sorts itself out there for that Cleveland offensive line. Replacing, I guess, I don't know, is he a new colleague? I've seen Joe Thomas on uh, NFL Network. Man, he looks great. He's lost like 50 pounds. Yeah, lost like 50 pounds, stepped on. Look, he's always been very, very entertaining and uh, exciting. He has stepped up. He has a podcast with Andrew Hawkins. So he's kind of been uh, kind of dancing around, putting his toe in the water a little bit. It's finally good to see him on our network. We'll see how it plays out. All right. Give me uh, give me one in the AFC South. Uh, when I go to the AFC South, um, is the running backs, Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis. And I know they said they're going to have a running back by committee approach, but at some point, Someone has to be the lead horse. Is that Derrick Henry, the big physical banger that can run in between the tackles? Or is it Deion Lewis, who's a little sneaky and spectacular during his time in New England? How do they figure out which of these guys can be the guy that they can lean on in the clutch? I'm excited to see how this um, battle kind of plays itself out during the free season. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I I think I'll go with the big guy. I'll go with with Derrick Henry. Coming out with the more touches and more carries, obviously uh, somebody that they're excited about there. And Deion Lewis can kind of be a nice compliment to him. I, I'm going to go to the uh, the Colts. I'm going to go to the linebacker position. Darius Leonard, one of our favorite players in the draft last year. All he does is make every single tackle from South Carolina State. Senior Bowl, 10, 10 tackles I think he had in the Senior Bowl. He's a playmaker. He can fly. Big-time athlete. Uh, competing there. To play inside it, you know, he's, some people say, is he a will linebacker? Is he a Mike linebacker? I think he can kind of be one of those undersized Mike linebackers that can run and make a bunch of plays. So that puts him in con- competition there with Antonio Morrison. Um, you know, everyone is excited about Andrew Luck coming back, but I think the big thing, how good would that defense be? I like what Everfluss is uh, talking about doing. They're going to play a little more of that Rod, Mar- Rod Marinelli, Tampa 2 style. They're going to play fast. They're going to simplify for the young guys and get them to run and chase. The thing about that defense, that defense is best when it's complemented by a high-scoring offense where they're playing downhill on defense. They're rushing the passer, playing coverage, and not necessarily having to play toe-to-toe against physical run games. Let's see if they can get the offense going so that defense can play the way they want to play. Yeah, no doubt um, that offense with Andrew Luck going to look a little bit different. Hopefully we see him throwing NFL footballs, Buck, not high school footballs. Get him an NFL football. Let's see what he looks like in training camp. Uh, that's obviously one of the big storylines across the league. Uh, AFC East position battle. Uh, for me, when I go to the AFC East, man, we've already talked about these things. Sam Donald versus Bridgewater and McCown. Sam yep. Donald, just because of all the things that you're hearing about Sam Donald, they kind of get you excited. They get you excited about what the young guy is going to be able to do, the leadership qualities, the talent, uh, the way he's picking up the offense. And even though he wasn't a finished product at the point that he was drafted, I do believe his gunslinger mentality and his improvisational skills could make him a special player at the next level. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it. You're right. So I, I, I think if I was going to guess, if I was going to put a percentage on it, I'll go Sam Darnold, chances of starting week one, I'll put it at 65%. That's where I'm at right now today. See, maybe that goes up, maybe that goes down. But coming into camp, I'll put him at 65%. I do think he ends up winning that job. Now, uh, one that's wide open again in that division, same position. Let's go to Buffalo with their quarterback situation there. Uh, We thought it was going to be a two-man battle there, Josh Allen, A.J. McCarron, and then all we heard about in the offseason was Nathan Peterman and how well he did. Although, man, I've, I've got this job with the uh, with the Chargers doing their, their radio this year, so I've been watching a ton of their stuff from last year, just kind of get refreshed. 
and went back and watched that game again. Oh, my gosh, Buck. That was a tough one. That was a tough one. I think Joey Bosa hit him every other play, and uh, every other pass, uh, he threw the wrong guy. So uh, Nathan Peterman, hey, maybe he has got some severe, uh, I mean, some intense mental toughness to be able to come back from that disappointing uh, effort there when he got on the field. But it sounds like he did because he's been great in the offseason, and this is very much a three-man battle for the quarterback job. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously it's a three-man battle. They're trying to figure out who is a guy that can kind of steady his ship. But you have to remember, this was a playoff team a year ago. And so uh, I think expectations should be high. Like you think that they would like to take a next step. But when I look at the roster, I think it's come down a notch. Um, and I think the thing that kind of hangs overhead is what is going to happen with Shady McCoy. Is Shady McCoy going to be available for all 16 yeah. games? Um, and so if he's available, then it's easier to put the young quarterback in. But if he's not available, man. You're talking about throwing a young quarterback to the wolves, not having a talented player in the backfield, not necessarily having a blue-chip player on the perimeter. Um, I think a lot of uh, the decision to play Josh Allen or whoever will be based on what is the availability of LaShawn McCoy as they enter the regular season. Yeah, that's a, that is a huge storyline uh, to follow here as we get into camp. It looks like he'll be treated just as any other player unless something changes uh, through the legal process right now. Um, but man, LaShawn McCoy, that, that changes the look of that offense in a big way. If he's not available, uh, let's get to the final one here. AFC West position battle. Uh, the AFC West position battle for me is Royce Freeman and Devontae Booker, who is going to be the Denver Broncos number one running back and Royce Freeman. I think you have a big back that is very much like Lev Bell and those other guys, big physical can run it between the tackles, but also can be a playmaker in the passing game. Devontae Book is a guy that I had high hopes on. When he was coming out of Utah, I thought he was someone that was going to be um, a dynamite player. I love his physicality, his toughness, um, his ability to carry low. Hasn't been able to do it in Denver. Um, this looks like, to me, a race where Royce Freeman should be the one that crosses the tape first. But let's see if he can win it in the preseason. Yeah, I'm still – look, I love uh, Devontae Booker coming out of college. So I'm still hopeful we'll see that same player show up here. Um, I think this is a great battle. I, I think this is a true 50-50 battle. This is a toss-up to see which one of these guys can come away. They've got kind of a similar running style there uh, between the two of them. Very physical runners. Obviously came out of the same conference there in the Pac-12. That'll be one to uh, to keep an eye on. I'm going to go to the Chargers. I mentioned I've been watching a bunch of them. They've got kind of an embarrassment of riches here at the corner position because you've got Jason Barrett coming back healthy. Casey Hayward will have one spot locked down. But then you've got Desmond King who can play some nickel. Um, he's done a nice job for them last year. He can play some safety, can play some nickel. Uh, he's in the mix. Trevor Williams kind of came out of nowhere. He played great last year on the outside. He was a college free agent back in, I think it was 2016. Uh, he emerges a real, real talented player in Verrett's absence. So you've got really King, Williams, and Verrett. That's a, you know, add them to Hayward. That's four very, very talented corners, but most of the time you're going to have three of those guys on the field. So how does that all shake out? Uh, who's the, who's the one, uh, having to wait to get on the field when you get into those uh, real deep sub-situations. So uh, that's going to be a fun position battle to watch. Selfishly, I hope Jason Brett comes back healthy and we see the guy we saw early on in his career with the Chargers because he was pretty dynamic. Yeah, he was pretty dynamic. When he's played, he's played at a Pro Bowl level. He's a guy that has supreme talent. He has the ability to travel and match and run with receivers all over the field. He can use a variety of different techniques. So, yeah, like you want to see him come back and play at that level. Uh, hopefully, just hopefully, he can be healthy uh, because if he's healthy, he's a top corner. No question. So uh, th those are our position battles uh, by division 
that we're looking forward to. Last thing we've got here before we run, Buck, uh, five teams, I wrote about this, impacted, that'll be most impacted by the rookie class. I kind of rank these five to one. I'll go through them quickly here, and then I'll let you just kind of uh, give me your thoughts on on any of these teams or if there's another team you think I've missed that uh, you think will have big-time rookie year uh, with their with their rookie class. I start number five, the Baltimore Ravens. We've mentioned Lamar Jackson. We both believe uh, he takes over this position before the year is up. Hayden Hurst, uh, tight end, is going to be in the mix. I think Orlando Brown is going to end up winning that right tackle position sooner rather than later. You're going to get a contributor in Mark Andrews, the other tight end. Uh, and I think Kenny Young, the linebacker, is is one to keep an eye on out of UCLA. He's somebody that can really run and cover uh, and definitely can find his way onto the sub packages for the Baltimore Ravens. Number four, the Chargers. Derwin James, the highlight there at uh, the 17th pick, just fell into their lap. Big-time playmaker. Uchenna Nwosu can be kind of a walk-around blitzer for them, the linebacker from USC. Justin Jones, a rotational player along that defensive line at NC State. Kazir White, a safety that converted to linebacker who's going to be somebody that can really cover backs and tight ends, which was an issue for this Chargers team. And then keep an eye on Justin Jackson, the running back from Northwestern, to be kind of the backup, the number two runner there behind Gordon. The Chicago Bears at number three. Everything I heard about Roquan Smith was off the charts in the offseason. I know he hasn't signed yet. I anticipate that'll happen pretty soon. Uh, you've got James Daniels, who's one of the top interior linemen. I think he finds his way onto the field early. And then Anthony Miller, big-time uh, big time reports coming back on him from training camp, the wide receiver from Memphis. He'll get in the mix. Colts at number two, Quentin Nelson, the best offensive lineman in the draft. You've got Braden Smith, another lineman from Auburn who'll compete for a job. Darius Leonard, who we talked about at linebacker, I think he emerges as a starter right away. Kamoko Ture from Rutgers, he gets on the field as a pass rusher. And then Naheem Hines, kind of a jack-of-all-trades, running back, slot receiver, playmaker, I think he's in the mix. And then the number one team that's going to get the most impact from the rookie class, you talked about him at the top of the show. That's the New York Giants with Saquon Barkley, who's got a chance to be a, a pro bowler right out the gate. Lorenzo Carter and B.J. Hill, two defensive players, uh, very, very athletic, very explosive. I think they find their way into the mix as well. So th those are the five teams I think that will have the most impact from the rookie class, Buck. I'll, I'll give you the floor. No, I, I agree with this list. Um, I think, number one, you're right. I think the New York Giants have to be on the list just with everybody that is coming in. Uh, Will Hernandez helping out at, at guard. Saquon Barkley obviously being the do-it-all playmaker in the backfield. So I'm agreeing with that, number one. Um, the Bears are an interesting team to me because Roquan Smith, James Daniels, Anthony Miller. Roquan Smith is going to be a stud. We love him coming out. James Daniels, to me, I thought was a little underrated, undervalued when it came to draft day. He's a starter. That offensive line looks good. And I think this team is going to be so much better with Matt Nagy, Mark Helfrich taking over, putting Mitch Trubisky in a better position to really play to his talent. So a guy like Anthony Miller could be a nice surprise uh, on the outside because he's just a big-time playmaker. He did a lot at Memphis. I think he's certainly else. Those are the two teams that stand out to me. And obviously the Baltimore Ravens, all the stuff that they've added with Lamar Jackson as a bonus. I think all five of these teams certainly have been boosted by their rookie class. But one team I did not, that I, I wrestled with putting in there was the Patriots, just because historically the young guys have a tough time there getting on the field with the Patriots. But I think Isaiah Wynn's got a chance to, to win one of those offensive line jobs, probably starts out inside, but I think they even feel like he could play tackle if needed. Um, but I think he's got a chance to get on the field early. Sony Michelle, how they use him in this backfield. They've got a billion running backs. Uh, he's their most talented, though, in my opinion. So how does he get in the mix? Is there another first-round pick for them? And then Duke Dawson, 
who I thought was one of the best nickels in the draft, uh, somebody that should be able to, you know, for most teams, you get on and play on the field right now. I just don't know if, you know, their history of playing young guys is not great. So he, if it was any other team with those players in this roster situation, I would have put the Patriots uh, on the mix, in the mix there, because I think those guys are really good players and they are better than what's ahead of them on the depth chart. But it's just New England. You know, I don't know how many, uh, how many of those young guys are going to be able to get on the field. Yeah, I mean, New England is just such a tough one because you just don't know what they think. You just never know when it comes to game day who's going to play, how they're going to do it, what role they have specified for their player. Uh, it's just tough. I will say this about Sonny Michelle. I think Sonny Michelle is terrific. I think he gives them an opportunity to have one back who can do all the, the roles and responsibilities that they've been able to get collectively from a handful of guys. I think that matters. We'll see how it plays out, but I would expect him at some point to be a major contributor for this offense. All right, Buck. You know what I've done for us today? I, I've I've got us through a, uh, a a real chunky show here, and you know people won't know this because when this releases, it'll be past the time. But there's still 22 minutes uh, before Chick Fil A stops serving breakfast. So I'm just saying, I, I think we uh, <laughs> we accomplished something today. Uh, yeah, I think we did. We got through a big one, a beefy uh, podcast that Sully always likes to talk about. All right, what else are you working on, man? I always like to uh, to let the folks know what you've been working on. You've been crushing it all off season with with, with what you've been writing about. So, uh, anything to to be on the lookout here for you? Well, not like you now. This week, no book. I have some real stuff to write about. I don't have to speculate. I don't have to pull things out the air. Obviously, we have to talk about Julio Jones. Why he's not showing up? Should the Falcons break precedent and pay him? Uh, we'll also talk about some of the stuff that's going on with Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo has been in the news first for his dating choices. Now he has a quote about feeling like he was a better player than Tom Brady. So let's just see how he handles the pressure and the expectations that come along with being a franchise quarterback that is paid like the top quarterback in football. That sounds interesting there. You got some good stuff. Go to NFL.com slash Bucky Brooks. You can find all Bucky's articles there. I know you've got uh, total access coming up. Uh, in the next couple of days, I've got some total access coming up this week. So uh, you'll find us back on the tube, kind of getting plugged back in here as we uh, kick off training camp and, and get rolling here. So, uh, man, this feels good, Buck. Tomorrow we're going to go to Pac-12 Media Day, which we did last year. Get a chance to talk to all these coaches and top players, and we'll, uh, we'll bring you some of that audio uh, over the next couple of weeks as well. So lots of stuff coming your way here on Move the Sticks. Big shout out to Sully, Sean Sullivan, our producer, keeping this train running. Uh, he'll uh, he'll be up early tomorrow to get us ready for Pac-12 Media Day. But uh, we've got a lot coming your way here on Move the Sticks. The season's just kicking off. We're just getting going here. Uh, thank you so much for listening, downloading, telling a friend, leaving a review on uh, on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate that as well. This has been the Move the Sticks podcast presented by Castrol Edge. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. 
Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.